Perfect, there we go. Should be good then. Right, so evening everyone um, and welcome. Um, thank you all for taking the time out for joining me this evening. Um, I appreciate you've all got incredibly busy diaries, um, probably more so than ever at the moment, thanks to this pandemic. So yeah, again, thanks for taking the time out to, to chew the fat with myself and, uh, and Mika. Um, so I, as you all know, I'm Jordan Hayward. Um, I work for Amicus Recruitment, who uh, we sort of specialise in recruiting across three key areas of IT, Python, Golang, JavaScript. So the reason we, we typically put on these events is just to connect senior leaders within the industry. I'm sure you've all been to sort of roundtable events and networking events before. It's probably a little bit different to, to what how this is going to run. Um, it's Yeah, usually we'd be... Well, ideally sat in a nice restaurant, eating a nice meal, having a few drinks, having a good discussion. But um, I suppose we'll have to make do with a, a Zoom call and fingers crossed the, the Virgin Media internet stays strong throughout the evening. Um, so as I, as I briefly mentioned um, in the calendar invite to you, we're going to be discussing um, the topic of implementing de development processes. Um, things that you need to consider when implementing development processes and the challenges you face. Um, but yeah, I'll start with a quick introduction of everyone. Um, you may have spoken before, you may have met before. Um, but firstly, I'll start with the, the co-host of the evening, um, Mika Bostrom. Um, he is the VP of Engineering over at Smarkits, who are a very well-established tech company across London um, and one of the largest betting exchange companies across the world. Um, and I know, Mika, you've been there for just shy of seven years now, haven't you? So I think it's safe to say you're a good part of the furniture there. You want to say that, yes. So yeah. we are in an industry where, well, let's be honest, we enable gambling. Yeah. Although the most of the tra traffic ends up being in sports, we want to provide a prediction market platform. So the PR and interest should be in politics. But let's be honest, the money is, is still in gambling. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for everyone. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, thank you for, for obviously coming up with the idea, Mika, and I'm sure it's going to be a great chat this evening. Um, secondly, tune in. As we've just discussed from Seattle, um, he is the ex-CTO of Onfido, also worked for the likes of Spotify and Adobe. Um, it's Kevin Goldsmith. Kevin, how are you today? Uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, so I was uh, in London until uh, just a few months ago, so back, back in Seattle. But very excited yep. to be with this group. Happy days. Are you... Uh, Planning on returning to London, or is that that you back for good now? Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to be next, but it's probably not going to be London. Yeah, I'll probably it'll probably be I'll probably be back in Seattle for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Happy days. Well, uh, yeah. Again, thanks for tuning in. Your side of the pond. Next up, um, Sachin Saxena. Sachin, you've got a wealth of experience at a VP level. I'm sure you've got a lot of stories that you can bring to this table. Um, you've worked for the likes of Deal Logic, Rocket Lawyer, some great companies. How are you today? Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to have this discussion. Uh, but no, good. Uh, yeah, adjusting to the new the new era, I guess. And yeah, um, 
let's see well let's see where this takes us yeah fantastic um yeah thanks for for, for taking part um next up john thomas john x amazon current delivery i don't think we need to go into too much detail around those two companies do we um i think we're all big users of, of both so um yeah thanks for joining us again I assume it's been a, a very busy few months for you and uh, the guys over at Delivery. Um, how are you? I, it, it sure has, and, and thanks for thanks for saying that. Um, I would say that that I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, pandemic has really kicked in my 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 FOMO, my fear of missing out, right? Because I feel like <laughs> I've watched everyone in the world have a four month summer vacation partially paid. While I've been, you know, trying to to build new features to keep restaurants alive, and and so it's been it's been a wild ride on this side, just trying to uh, to yeah. to keep up with everything that's going on and watching everybody else uh, enjoy the summer. Yeah, I don't think um, you you've probably missed out on too much. It's been I've had a four month vacation, but it's been a, a four month vacation in their bedrooms or, or front rooms. So um, fair enough. So yeah, but uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, John. Really appreciate it. Um, and finally, we have Hansel Dunlop, um, Senior Engineering Director of Touch Surgery, who are one of the most exciting med tech companies in the UK. Um, I actually read the other week that you guys had been crowned the leading health and medical technology company for 2020. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what? Yeah, yeah, we, we we won that um, earlier this year, but we, also we've been we we got acquired by Medtronic in February as well. So we're now a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, the biggest medical device company in the world, and we've been going through an integration basically ever since lockdown essentially. So we've been doing it remotely via Zoom, which has been interesting. Yeah, yeah. but that's been a challenge. It's been it's been something, yeah, to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, thanks again for taking time out to, to join us this evening. Um, so yeah, that's introductions done. So let's crack on. Um, I, I will try and keep this as close to an hour as possible. Um, obviously, depending on how conversation flows, but um, I'm conscious I don't want to take too much out of everyone's evening. So um, I've given a brief introduction to what's going to be covered and what the topic is. But Mika, I'm, I'm going to hand over to you as this was your idea. This is your topic of choice and something you're very passionate about. So, yeah, just a quick introduction um, as to what the topic is, what your views are and, and what we're going to cover today. OK, thank you. So the name of the session is Your Development is a Lie. And it's born from, from when Jordan approached me and invited me to an event he was hosting. I had a look and I mentioned, that, OK, that it would be interesting to have a discussion on the fact that development processes themselves are, as, my, as far as I'm concerned, organic results of workflow, tooling, culture, and how things actually happen in real life. And then you can document them after the fact. But doing them upfront is basically a doomed endeavor. And then Jordan says, OK, that might be a good discussion. Two days go, go by, and then I get told that, no, you can't attend a discussion like this. You get to host one instead. Yikes! <laughs> so, here we are. Pressure straight on you. Yeah. I'll hand it back over to Jordan. I have prepared a number of visuals for sort of giving idea when, when, when we have a, a discussion going on for any particular topic. Uh, if the topic veers to something where I don't have visuals prepared, 
all the better. It means that we actually got to somewhere where I haven't even thought about. So back to Jordan. Go ahead, please. Perfect. So between us, well, not between us, Mika has come up with some very good questions that we're going to cover off. Um, question number one, let's get straight into it. So what if we said process is for the word? Now, Mika, I'm just going to hand straight over to you for this one. Yep, so I'm putting an a image which shares or shows the sentiment. If you say that you want to implement or put in a process or you want people to follow a process, most of the things they want to, want to say is censored. You can't do that, as it is a utterly utter profanity. So instead, I want to process, how, how would you go about breaking this kind of barrier? Or what do you think about the fact that people, and especially people who in technology consider process a horrible thing to encounter? Perfect. John, let's start with you. <laughs> so I, I would say a couple of things. I would say that process for process sake, is a four-letter word, absolutely. And you see that a lot, especially because going back 15 or 20 years, people started outsourcing software development. And I don't mean specifically to countries, but I mean to other groups. And when they did that, software development became a commodity, right? And when software development became a commodity, what happened is the only technologists left in the big companies were project managers. And those project managers like to embrace process and they like to put process in place and follow process for the sake of process. And I would 100% agree that process for the sake of process is a lie. However, comma, I've had two times in my career, and this kind of touches on one of your later questions, two times in my career where I've actually gotten to do a process the way it was supposed to be done. One of them was working for the government in the United States. I was able to implement a, a scrum process in a small startup, right? And that worked really, really well when we actually followed Scrum religiously. And Scrum really just defines your, your, your meeting structures. It doesn't define how you work. The other time was working for Pivotal Labs when we did true XP. And I'll, I'll raise my hand and say, I've been an XP evangelist since 1998 when I read Kent Beck's book. But when Pivotal Labs does XP, it works better, I would argue, than any process you've ever done. And the reason for that is that they actually follow all of the tenets of XP, including creating infrastructure for pair programming and ensuring that we don't do code reviews because we're doing pair programming or that we're following a 40-hour work week and we're building process around following that 40-hour work week. So I would argue that when you do process for a good reason and you follow a known good process, that it can be one of the best professional experiences of your life. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and Sachin, I'll, I'll come to you next. Um, Mika, I love the visual. Um, and it kind of resonates because I've, I feel like I've, I've been there. Uh, you know, I think we've all probably been in situations where we've tried to achieve something. Uh, and rather than explaining the end goal, you know, you kind of already, you know, you already just jumped straight into the solution. Um, so I think one thing which I've learned there is, Look, processes, as I think, John, as you said, you know, process for the sake of process, you know, doesn't help. Uh, and even trying to uh, implement that with a team or with a group of people uh, is going to backfire. Um, so I think, you know, the key thing is to really highlight what is the goal? What are, what are we trying to achieve and why are we trying to achieve it? Um, and then actually 
as a group come up with the process and i think that's where john where you mentioned that actually in specific scenarios there are very good processes out there xp is fantastic and um really understanding the principles um and understanding of what what why that process is for what it is 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 more important um so yeah look process definitely useful um but i think it's most important to first focus on the goal and why Fantastic, fantastic. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think both Satin and John said things I agree with. I think there's things I, I am a little bit different. I kind of look at process as sort of sanitation engineering. It's a, it's a require, it's necessary, but you don't want to have more of it than you actually need. Um, so I, I also have seen teams using straight by the book Scrum. I did uh, XP and a startup in 2000 or yeah, 99, 2000. And I've never seen a more efficient team. And we did buy the book, straight up um, XP. And so I've seen those like, you know, following the book kind of processes work really well, but those were very context dependent. I think the best teams, best organizations I've ever worked in had very little process um, or rather the processes there were very loose controls just to make sure every team was working together, but each team was kind of doing their own thing. And um, we'd kind of transcended these kind of Uber processes. And that worked really well in that context. That was like, um, so I think you have to be really careful because what people tend to do is they embrace a process and then try and use that process in lots of different environments, including where it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I also think that a uh, more heavyweight process can be useful to get a team started, especially a team that hasn't worked together before or a team that has been struggling. But as they get better, they start to lose, they start to shed some of those trappings because things just become a lot more natural. So uh, I'm kind of more on that four letter word uh, type, of a, type of view. Brilliant. And uh, Hansel, I'll come out to you. Yeah, so I mean, we're in a position where we kind of have um, process forced on us because we have, you know, we have regulation, we have the FDA, who says, this is how you actually have to produce a product. And that's kind of like an interesting dichotomy, because we have to because I don't want to follow a process that's been set by a regulator 20 years ago, maybe. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a tough thing to work around. And we don't, we don't work around it at all. This is not the point I'm trying to make is that you have to kind of figure out how to understand the intent of it and work within the regulatory guidelines so that you can actually produce because ultimately what we're trying to produce is like a higher quality product um, that's safer so you've got to figure out the intent of the process or the process that they're sort of forcing on you and work out how you can actually um, justify and build things in different in slightly different ways and work and actually evolve the process and sort of actually begin um, that conversation with regulators as well where you say right you know this, the process that you're forcing on us is actually probably going to produce lower quality, lower quality products with higher defects and just a worse product overall. And how do we evolve this process and how do we make sure that you understand that we're still doing, we're, our goals are the same basically as well. So processes, um, yeah, it's something that we kind of, we have to embrace and we have to enjoy um, and I guess take advantage of as well, but also try to figure out what, what good looks like in 2020 because it doesn't quite... Um, it's not really reflected in regulation at this moment. Of course. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, what's happened this year is going to change a lot around this this topic in general, really. So, um, 
especially with new things around working from home and, and whatnot. So, um, Mika, finally, your thoughts on that one? Uh, I think, actually, as in, it aligns with my experience as well. And the fact is that, that it also happens to also flow straight to the point where put next one, I'll, actually, I'll hijack your screen and show the next one straight away because this ends up being the same thing as I wanted to do. So the, the fact is that both Kevin and, ha and Hansel actually mentioned that and, and even, you know, Shashin said that you want to, you have a process which you need to follow or want to follow, but then you tailor your workflow to something which I understand that works for you and works for, for your business needs. And you all have the end goal and result in mind. So this really is that, that, that because I mentioned earlier on that this culture is a big part of it, XP in particular, you said that it has to be a culture specific because that ties into culture everywhere. So how would you see the role of culture in a, in a workflow or present environment, uh, where does it come in and, and how do you make sure that you don't actually break it? Who wants to kick off with this one? Let's go, uh, let's go the other way around. Let's start with Hansel again with this one. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess culture is kind of my tool to enforce process, basically. Um, it's the, the soft skills of, um, of, of always emphasizing what, goal we're trying to achieve what we're trying to what the outcomes we're trying to get to and emphasizing why it's processes necessary to achieve those goals and in some in some cases quite extreme processes as well i mean if you're trying to develop a medical device with embedded software the process is extreme and it's very very waterfall it is you know you have to design things up front you have to design your test cases up front you have to design everything and then follow that process through over maybe four years and just and reflect that entire thing so it's it's um, but yeah, luckily we don't have to develop everything like that. And that's kind of part of it as well as that culture of saying, um, when can we, what, if we understand the regulation well enough, when can we apply these different processes? And that's kind of like a culture of, um, I guess people understanding ultimately what they're really trying to get out of it, what the, what the goal of these, um, processes are and, and yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Kevin, uh, you know, I, one thing I've used to say about process quite a bit was that process is a way to force teams that don't work well together to work well together, right? So the companies I've been in where we had a much heavier process were companies that were inherently less collaborative and also had a lot more politics. So when I was at Microsoft, I was at Microsoft for a long time. Uh, when I was there, like there was a tremendous amount of process and that was because if you just left teams to their own devices, they would be constantly at war, right? And just pointing fingers and arguing with each other. So they have these really heavy duty processes to kind of force teams to work together. And if you compare that to Spotify, which was very much more team oriented, very much more kind of uh, the, the goals of the group um, before the goals of the individual, kind of Jantelagen, kind of Swedish kind of um, uh, culture, we needed very little process because we could trust that teams were trying to figure out a way to make things happen without having to have some sort of rules that kind of made them work together. So it is, it is that aspect of culture which is going to determine the processes you have, right? So if you're in a regulated environment, even if you have a very collaborative company, that's going to force you into processes and you're going to probably try and do the very least of those that you have to. But And if you're in a, a, a company culture that is very um, 
not uncollaborative, you're going to have a lot more process because you, you need to make teams work together. You have to force them to. But if you have a, a you know, much more lighter, much more collaborative, much more positive kind of culture, yeah, you'll find that you actually don't need that much process because people are generally trying to do the right thing and can generally be trusted to work together to figure out how to do things. So that is an important thing to think about what your actual culture is, not kind of the culture you want to have, but the one you actually have when thinking about how much process to build. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Sachin? Culture, I mean, look, I think it's, it absolutely has an impact on processes. Um, I can think of my previous experience where, you know, we're at a point where we're redefining the, pro the culture of the company. Uh, and once we had redefined it and made it crystal clear actually we had to look at a very a lot of our different processes not just development processes but even hiring processes right in terms of how how we can leverage process to really embed culture so it's a, it's an integral part um i think also you can see different company cultures you know a company that really wants to empower their staff and their mem and, and their teams you know you can see that then they themselves are actually part of that the whole building of processes so um hugely important um and i and i think the one thing is you've got to constantly just listen to your team members around processes is it working right is it is it useful uh, and I, and you know i think that's a there's a culture especially a culture within software engineering where we always do want to continuously improve um so i think that is vital for having a look at processes and making sure that they work for ourselves mm -hmm. okay fantastic and um and john finally with you on that one um you know, I, I really liked something that Kevin said about sort of the, what I heard is like the organizational maturity of the people that you're working with. And that is a huge factor in choosing stuff. If I was to pick two things that have to be in the culture in order to take this journey, the first thing was you have to build trust first. If you don't have the trust of the people who you're, who you're doing this for, then it's going to be a really big uphill battle. And the second thing is you have to be really transparent about what you, you're trying to achieve. Right. So what your goals are and why you're trying to implement this process. If you do that, to Kevin's point, I think with a less organizationally mature team, you're going to need some process in place to help guide them to, to do the right things and make the right decisions. With a less mature team you, or with a more mature team, you could actually step back with that and, and let less process sort of take hold. But to me, um, the culture that you really have to strive for is based on on having the trust of the people and, and being really transparent about what the goals you're trying to achieve are and empowering them to become owners of the process themselves instead of feeling like they're being victimized and shoved at something. Yeah, okay. Hey, Jordan, can I reinforce something Sachin said? I really Absolutely. Liked, I, liked, I really liked that you brought up hiring process in the in the context of culture. Uh, evolving culture that's yeah that's right on i think that is the one area where if you're trying to evolve to a new culture how you hire and who you hire is so critical in that and that might be a place where you need to put in more of a process yep. to kind of get in the, a new a different kind of person than you've been hiring up till this point i think that's that's a really important point that actually 
that triggered one thing for me. Can I add on to that? Of course. In, addi in addition to the hiring process, you're always going to have people who don't want to come along for the ride and you need to identify them early, right? And find something else for them to do because they're going to drag the process down. You will have people who don't want to be a part of this and you need to find them and find something else for them to do because they will keep the rest of the culture from moving forward. John, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I think actually when you do meet those people who are slightly resistant or you're conflicted by a new process, often what I found is actually those are the ones you really need to listen to because they've always got something, um, in, some, something which you probably haven't thought of that might actually make the process fail. So I agree, you know, they might, they still might not be well suited, but I think it, they can also yeah. help in the process being successful too, because they see something that you don't see. So yeah. Always listen to those ones. I, I, yeah, I don't don't rush to judgment for sure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's it. I think it kind of ties in with a question I was going to ask, and I, I guess I'll ask it a bit differently. Then, say you you are going through, you come into a team, you analyze the the business outputs, the goals you want to achieve, and um, the culture of the the current team, and sort of well. Pretend that the sort of maturity and trust levels that you have within the team as well. Um, when do it, is it at that point when you start to consider how you're going to recruit, or how does recruitment come into effect? Then, Mika, have you got any views on that at all? Uh, I do, in fact. So I think again that the best way, at least especially for hiring purposes, is to effectively iterate really rapidly, as in try new things in two or three months because you will have feedback coming from candidates in any case, and you will have feedback coming from people who do do interviewing. They all have ideas how they want to improve. And at that point, actually, I think that going against the process you have in place is valuable because I believe that people who are doing things that are not, not codified as per process are actually refining what you have there because they are trying to find out where the, where the new notches are, which actually could be still explored. And I, I like the fact that Hiring evolve in the same way that anything else evolves in a company. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it could change over time. You're saying. Well, so new new people are the sort of the best source of evolving the process as well because they're the they're that that look at something with the fresh eyes and you can say they can say right there's something not right here that other people might have just been kind of silently ignoring for six months or a year or something as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, brilliant. What happens if you? you get a hire wrong, they're not the right fit for the culture, the development process does get affected. Has anyone got any stories where that's happened and maybe they've had to readjust the development process itself what, to cater for the people that, that have come on board? Or um, Anyone want to take uh, it away? <laughs> I, my, I would say that if you're if you're adjusting if you're adjusting anything for a single personality you're probably doing something wrong <laughs> right you know, you know unless they're coming in and they've got you know they're they're, they're taking it in a direction you're really happy with if you know if the teams have been working well and you bring in somebody and they're challenging things with no but not in a way that's going to make things better that that's probably not good to to try and satisfy an individual I have a caveat to that, by the okay. way. When the single person happens to be a particularly obstinate third-party auditor. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. True. All right. True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Perfect, perfect. I mean, I think, Jordan, often what you also do find, and then Kevin, I'm sure you've seen this too, is uh, that person would most likely leave, Um, you know, but it, it, you know, you know, the team generally will want to make sure that either the, either the person has good ideas and and the team team evolves, but, um, you know, soon you, you find normally those people do move on. Okay. Is that through choice or <laughs> sometimes not <laughs> and the programmers would answer yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah there we go perfect um so yeah Mika, i'll hand back over to yourself um i think we're on who decides on the process yeah actually i think we just covered it because we ended up going for the fact that it ends up being where being influenced by people who work on it and why it's done. So what I got from all of you is that effectively it's all, it's, you put in guardrails and you have the trust in there to be in place. So actually I, I can skip another question. I can show what I had had with the visual and then go for the next one straight away because I think you're yeah. going to like it. So I was going to ask about our cultural walls, but you already went all, all there. So instead I want to take that what happens if we actually have to change the culture for a very particular reason and then how does it look like when looking looking back because I and I admit this is effectively in a it, it's a lures to the destiny's garden from Gaiman's Sandman where you do you take forks as you as you walk by and then you, when you look back at the end it's it all looks like a straight road behind you so I wanted to sort of raise the question that what happens if you need, really need to change the culture and what, as in, how does it affect what you do? And then once you look back, does it look like something that would have always been clear, even, even from the outset? So I, first, I want to give you props for asking this right now, because I don't know about you guys, but right now we're in the process of adapting our culture to primarily working remotely. Right. And that is a big step. And it's not something that we would have necessarily chosen to do, at least at this time, at this at this pace. So it's a, it's it's a fantastically timed question. Your thoughts, John? My thoughts. Um, <laughs> I'm in the, I'm in the process of doing this right now. Right. So yeah. we're taking we're taking a, a culture that is very startup based um, in a lot of ways, very close to the Spotify model. Um, you know, uh, very, very loose. And uh, we're having to um, implement processes that, that make uh, progress and tracking against strategic initiatives and objectives more transparent and uh, it, making it easier to track dependencies across teams that are no longer sitting five feet from each other every day or have the opportunity to get together and talk uh, without having a heavy culture already in place of technical project managers or program managers you know, uh, doing that, right? Because when you have that in place, it's easier to manage the dependencies. When you're looser, it's harder because you're really relying on uh, key individuals to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge and, and it comes back to, that's why my answer earlier was, you have to have trust and you have to be very transparent. So what I've done was I took one of our orgs and used it as a model, right? And used JIRA as a tool to, um, to create sort of a uniform structure that we could all follow that's very, very lightweight where we could track our objectives, allowing the teams the freedom to build the software the way they want to, but sort of enforcing a level of, of uniform reporting 
so that up above we can see what's happening and figure out where we need to invest our time to help. Does that answer the question at all? It's a start. I, I think it's I think it's <laughs> definitely really I think you've touched upon one important well lots of important things there, but one thing which I quite like was just transparency on how things are progressing you know you you do want to have indicators of you know are we moving in the right directions or yourself and and your teams um that helps them to make sure that whether they need to course correct or whether they're doing fantastic so uh, yeah i think that that's it's critical we're kind of going through this process at the moment because we're doing an integration right we're being integrated with a much larger company that has um that is not that is evolving into a technology company but is not traditionally one as well it's a manufacturing company so we are going through the process of saying, what is core to our culture? What are the bits that are actually useful to us? What are the bits that deliver value to us that make us allow us to um, iterate quickly, deliver high quality products at pace? And what can we afford to let go as well? So what, what bits of us can we say, well, this isn't, this isn't so key. And it's been a really, really interesting process because, um, you know, there's, it's about what you have to fight for essentially as well. So what, what are the bits that you care so much about that you know that will have such a negative impact if you let them go and change and i think it's been a it's been a really great exercise to sort of try to figure that out as well basically and i think we're we're in the process of doing that but it's it's very interesting to see you know um what bits are core to your ability to do what you do as a company and what bits are just kind of uh, you know fluff or frippery as well <laughs> i think i think it, you have to differentiate between you know covid has been sort of this external pressure or an acquisition. I've, I've led a company through an acquisition into a larger entity as well. And those, these, those kind of external, very direct kind of forcing events are, are a little bit different than what I would think of when I'm trying to evolve a, a culture. So the way I think about evolving culture is more about putting the things in place, right? We talked about guardrails before. I think about it more specifically around culture, around planting a garden, right? Where that, you can sort of lay out, well, I'm gonna put these flowers here, I'm gonna put these you know, vegetables here, but you can't specify, like I'm gonna have a rose with five petals and this, it's gonna be this height, right? You plant the seed and something happens. So for that, you know, it's a much more longer term kind of, I'm gonna start putting the tools in place and then let things happen um, and let the guardrails kind of form themselves by giving, by giving the organization these tools and these ideas and seeing how people interpret them. So it's, it is something that they've owned and something that's theirs. If that's in place, when you have one of these kind of external events, you kind of have the, the basis and the foundation to do something that's gonna be well aligned with what you're trying to do, even in this kind of really weird kind of event. Um, if you don't have that stuff in place in time, then you're gonna to have to struggle and you, you'll probably end up having to do some more kind of top down, kind of like, all right, well, putting in more process, I guess, to, to help the organization handle that if, if it isn't ready to kind of do it on its own. And in a, in a very sort of, with a sort of mechanical question here is, I mean, I found one of the most powerful tools for kind of creating culture is leading by example and kind of demonstrating what you want a culture to be. Yep. And uh, right now I'm finding that incredibly hard, right? That is, it's, it's now very difficult to, you can't kind of, you know, a, le a lecture to people sort of your entire department is not the same as having um, that day-to-day -day interaction with them or you know, a 30 minute Zoom call to sort of tell someone how you think things should be run as well is also quite different. So I mean, has anyone got any sort of suggestions on you know, what they've been doing in this sort of time as well to make sure that their, their culture that they're trying to 
developers actually kind of synthesize through the rest of the organization. So, I mean, Onfido just, uh, Onfido, you know, has a, a lot of BPO folks um, in India, which is a substantial part of our business. And they went in lockdown before the UK did. And so um, we had a, a real direct threat to the business where we had to evolve and make a big change very fast. And I did try and take a very much a model to my organization, what I was, you know, what I was hoping that each one of them would do, which to be honest, was um, very challenging because it meant essentially we had to step up and cover for a lot of the BPO stuff. And, um, you know, so one, I was very transparent. I was doing, I was jumping in and taking over some of that work myself in a very visible uh, way so that it, it encouraged others to do the same as well. And then I was also honestly transparent around the struggles I had to do that um, to also make it okay that people we're struggling as well. I don't know if there is, maybe somebody else has a better playbook, but I do think that part of modeling and, and demonstrating and, and also being very, you know, being transparent, but also being very understanding that this is each, this is something that this is affecting each person in a very, very different way and trying to make that po possible for people to discuss and, and talk about. I actually would like to pick up on that one because, as in, this is a question I hadn't prepared. As in, we won't mention that we we are actually we've been imposed with a culture change. Something has changed manifestly over the past four months. I as in, and I would just ask, as in, as in, that in your experience, both from previous years and also the, just for the past few months, as in, is there anything that you identify that it you know that would actually would make it work? I only thing I know is that, that I explain when I. When I have to introduce anything that changes people, people's workflow, I explain what we are trying to do, why we need to do this, and that whatever I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to make sure that it causes as little friction as possible to everyone else. So they know that I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I'm doing it because I have no other alternative. So are there any examples you can come up with that you, that you could sort of pinpoint what made it work in your case? Lots to start. John? Uh, just providing lots and lots of context, right? So I'm coming from, I've just spent three years in the Amazon culture. So I write a lot of documents, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I see the smiles. And, uh, you know, I started this process by writing a doc saying, you know, essentially the star format, here's the situation that we're in. Right, um, we, we have some challenges in front of us. Here are the best ways that I know how to attack this and here's what I think we should do about it, right? Um, I, I surfaced that up through our C-level channels, um, got some buy-in from them. And then, like I said earlier, I actually went in and used one of our orgs as an implementation, right? Because I found that the more I was describing to people how this was gonna work, the more I saw the skepticism in their eyes that it wasn't going to work. So I said, okay, well, if I can actually build this and make it work, then you'll see. And I did that. And um, I actually did a demo of it to our whole tech org uh, last Friday. Um, and so now that they've seen it, I now, instead of having to go to people and say, here is this, this cultural change I'm imposing on you, I now have senior managers coming and directors coming to me saying, 
how do I implement that? You know, give me access to that. Give me a doc telling me how to do it. So it started with a doc and then it, it went from there to an experiment that built trust where now I actually have some, some massive interest. Brilliant. Um, Sachin, any, anything to extend on that? Um, no, I mean, I think what I'm, what I'm listening from the group is I think, you know, you, you need constant communication with your teams about why, you know, why we're doing this, what are the challenges and then listening to their feedback and then helping to evolve that. Um, and then I think it's important, you know, you've got to try something, you've got to start with something small, um, you know, something which isn't going to, something which you can hopefully show a win um, and get some buy-in. So, you know, I think just some good, you know, probably some good change management, well, I wouldn't say change management, but just, you know, some of those key things, communicate, um, start with something small, get a win out of it and, and get some buy-ins um, is, is, is critical. Perfect. Hansel? Um, well, sorry, I, the question was, what was the question again about around? So any, anytime, or if you have an example where you have to impose a cost of change, do you have, can, spot, can you pinpoint anything that you know that's actually made it work? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, it's, it really is, yeah, communication, it really is writing a lot of, um, in a constant stream of kind of different ways of communicating with different people as well. So I often find that I have to, I find, you know, writing, writing a document works for some people, um, taking someone out for a coffee works for others and, and taking a little bit of time for one-to-one -one because I've never found everyone receptive to one way of um, receiving communication basically. So I think just a, a knowing your audience and knowing the individuals involved and making sure that you've kind of, um, and sometimes it's also just repetition as well. So mm. saying the same thing in different ways many times is eventually going to be effective. And Kevin, finally to you on that one. Um, I, you know, I think the, what Scott mentioned, or I'm sorry, what John mentioned um, is, is an important thing to do. At Spotify, the way a lot of our processes and culture evolved was an individual tribe lead um, would have some idea, like they want to try something, they would try it in their own tribe, it would work. And everyone else would say, oh, that looks cool. How's that working? And then eventually that would kind of evolve across the organization. We did very little, to be honest, top down. Um, but we had all these experiments running in the organization kind of constantly. I, what, the, what I've seen work well, like, I, I actually tried to get Microsoft to do extreme programming. And I went back to Microsoft. Um, I did some startups. Was that Microsoft? Did some startups, went back to Microsoft. So I tried to get Microsoft to do Agile in 2002. That did not go well, but uh, the way I did do it and got uh, some some project working was I actually did an experiment. I found a project in my organization that was failing and that no one thought everyone had written off and I got permission to try this new weird thing no one had ever heard of, extreme programming at the time, um, to see if I could get that project out the door on the schedule and we did and everyone was really impressed. And then they went back to doing what they wanted to do or what they did before. But um, that at least started bringing ideas in and I started hearing from other leads like, oh, how did you do that? And what are some of these ideas? That building on success is the, the best way to actually grow a bigger culture change across an organization. So yeah, double click on what John said. 
Fantastic. And uh, well, let's throw it back on yourself, Mika. Have you got any other ideas? I think I'm probably the odd man out in this one because when I have to do something which imposes change to other people's workflow, I actually go with changing the tools we have or putting new ones in place and showing effectively how do they work, what, what are they going to produce, and then it gets feedback from people who would be affected by them. I get direct comments, this won't work, this will work, and I also get ideas how to make them better by, by senior practice usually in a couple of, of weeks' time. So it ends up being very rapid change of, I thought something would need to be done in way, in way one, I got two or three iterations done in two weeks done, and then I get three new ideas, and then the end result is something which I would never thought upfront, but it ended up being a result of other people providing direct quotes, no, this won't work, this would, this would, this would, and this would be acceptable. And then the fact that I have trust enough from engineering that people at least know that when I'm doing something which changes things, I'm doing it for a reason, I, and at least I'm not trying to make their life any more miserable than it already is. So Perfect. I think that's, so I end up in doing this by iterating through code and results of code, and then seeing how people react to it. Fantastic. Perfect. Um, right, I think we're coming to pretty much our final question here, Mika. Um, that is correct. Let me yeah, get this I'll, one. I'll, I'll hand back over to yourself to get up your, your final visual of the evening. Okay. So in, the question for this one is that, as in, the things you've tried, you know what worked and what didn't, but do you have anything in your mind that you know you would like to try, but either haven't gotten around to, or don't dare to even try because it would be shut down immediately? Who would like to kick off? Well, I, one, one thing that I'm very interested in bringing into our organization would be um, test-driven architecture, basically. So kind of having a having a process where we can um, define limiting tests around um, parameters of kind of our service levels or even the kind of functionality and, and start letting people be totally autonomous within those tests as well. Um, and kind of slowly, slowly tightening that up so that we get to where we want to be, but a process over time that almost devolves all decision-making the process down to people who um, have certain performance characteristics that they want to meet. Brilliant. Um, Sachin, what are your thoughts? Oh gosh, um, I'm trying to think <laughs> what, what, what were the things which I would want to try out? Oh gosh, it's, it's mainly around technology rather than pro what new uh, processes there are. You know, there's, I think there's just, gosh, so many things that we'd want to try out, whether it's, you know, we've been previously in a previous company, we're doing a lot of stuff with blockchain, um, you know, so AI, you know, I'm, I'm always a, there's even quantum coming out. So mine is technology related rather than process related. Apologies, Mika. Don't, don't be sorry. By all, any means, no. And John, anything that you're uh, going to be bringing yeah. through very soon? Well, let's not say bringing to deliver. Let's say things that I want to do, right? So um, irrespective of where I am. Uh, so one of the things is I mentioned back in 98, we did XP and that was a bunch of us, you know, reading the book and deciding as a team of eight to do it. And that was great, but we didn't really do it. It was eight people and eight people can do anything effectively if they're well motivated and, and, and working well together. 
going to Pivotal Labs, I got to see how XP has done really well, but they had all of the infrastructure, right? I mean, Rob's been doing that since, since they wrote the manifesto, right? So I would like to be able to go to a company and implement XP and make it be effective and actually run it that way. That's the first thing. The other thing I really want to do is I want to implement chaos engineering. Um, I'm, I'm dying to, to put, you know, uh, you can imagine I, I own a tier zero service at delivery. So you can imagine how much I, I would love to have, you know, the Symbian army out there making sure that my stuff isn't going to go down on a Friday night and everybody wants delivery. So those are the two uh, things that I'd like to do. Yeah. You John, this yet, John? No, what is it? I, I, I need to read it. So this is Richard Sheridan's book. I met him uh, last year, a couple of years ago, but he's, uh, he's got a company in Ann Arbor that's been doing XP at scale for t decades. Oh, wow. Okay. So and it's all you. about how happy everybody is with that process. All right. I'm writing that down in my remarkable as we speak. There we go. Just light reading for you. You trip away there, John. <laughs> Perfect. Um, um, Kevin, finally to yourself, um, anything that you haven't tried, you'd like to try? Yeah, there's, there's something I've, I've tried to get, uh, I've very early stage tried to get in a couple companies now and just never, uh, never been able to get escape velocity on, which is um, having been in, in fully co-located companies and partially distributed companies, um, you know, I've been looking to figure out how to actually do in a co-located company, a fully distributed team, right? So at Spotify, um, you know, we were fully, co you know, each squad was fully co-located in an office and we would occasionally lose people because they'd want to move home or, or, you know, leave Stockholm or, or wherever. And so um, we would just have to say goodbye at that point. But you know, I was trying to figure out a, a way that we could build a distributed tribe. And we never figured that out. And then I've tried to do it at a company since. That's something I've been, I've been looking to see if I can do. Um, or, you know, so a fully distributed company works very well. A fully co-located company works very well. Every time I've been in a company, it's kind of in between. It's difficult, un unnecessarily difficult. But I think one way to actually be able to take a global engineering workforce um, and still, you know, in a company that's starting out as co-located would be to have that. So that's one of the things I'm trying to, that's one of the things I've been looking to do um, in, in a company. Still in the works then? Yes, but also yeah. I have to say, I have to agree with John. I, every company I've been in since Netflix talked about Chaos Monkey has, has been like, oh yeah, we want to do that. Yes. Oh yeah, we're on our way to do that. And we've, I've never been in a company where we've, we've been able to get to that point. So, you know, getting us to the point where we could shut off whole, you know, not just servers, like Netflix is now just show, shutting off whole regions randomly. Like that's, that's a level of, of sophistication I want, I want to also get to. Brilliant. Fantastic. And uh, Mika, I thought this was quite an interesting question from yourself. So I'm assuming you've got a, a wacky answer or, or a good I answer. actually have something. Yes, I would love to see the engineering done at markets properly, as in have everything fail continuously and nothing fails and nothing breaks. But I would like to take it even further. 
I would like to have an aggressive fuzzing running in production against all layers of the, of the stack to definitely try to identify faults in programming logic in addition to fault tolerance, just to see what drops out. And right now, even the idea of saying fuzzing production gives every team go, ah, no, don't even try it. <laughs> I would love to be in a situation where I could actually try that out and see what happens. Yeah. Well, when's that going to happen? When are you going to actually <laughs> put that into practice? I don't know. Ask me if, again in five years. Yeah. I think it's uh, biting the bullet now would be uh, no better time to do it with what's gone on this year. I think it's all a bit wild at the minute anyway, isn't it? So uh, <laughs> maybe you should just give it a go. It will be shut down before I get even started. I can guarantee you. <laughs> that's me. That's a, a recruiter's point of view, that is. <laughs> Someone that knows nothing about development processes. <laughs> um but yeah, I think um, that covers everything. Unless, Mika, you've got any questions hidden up your sleeve that you're uh, going to surprise us all with. No, as in I got one random question out of it already, and I skipped one visual. So I think we got what, I, what we wanted. So my preparation was mostly OK, but it was, it was nowhere near perfect, which is just the way I like it. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Well, um yeah, again, I think we're coming up to the hour mark, so I don't want to eat into too much of everyone's evening. So um, massive thank you, Mika, first and foremost, for coming up with the topic, um, coming up with the visuals, coming up with the questions. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great chat. John, thank you for joining us. Um, I know you've got a lot going on at Deliveroo at the moment, haven't we all? But I know you guys are building a lot in terms of new products to sort of cater for what's going on. Um, Sachin, I know you're very busy helping your friend with um, launching new things and, and obviously searching for a job yourself, which is a full-time job in itself. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining. Hansel, big integration going on. I know it's probably not easy. I know you're probably snowed under as well. Thanks for joining us. Kevin. Hi. Well, you've joined from Seattle, so I really appreciate it. What what time is it there for you? Is it? Oh no, it's a great time for me. It's like ten. It's eleven thirty in the morning. Well, what a great way to start the day, eh? <laughs> exactly. There we go. Perfect. Well, yeah. Thank you for joining all the way from the other side of the pond. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. It was great Cheers to meet you guys. Bye. Keep safe and keep sane, everyone. Bye. Yes. Hey. Thanks, Mika. Yeah, Take care, everybody. Bye.